Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Market View on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. Welcome to Your Money with me, Michelle Martin. I'm looking at Asia-Pacific markets this morning, trading lower following a jump in oil prices over the weekend. Let's break down all the market action. He is back from leave. You can breathe a sigh of relief. Ryan Huang, how are you? Good morning, Michelle. It's also... Cat Day today, Global Cat Day. So happy oh, Cat Day to you, y'all. Oh, more of a dog person, aren't you? You got it. I am a dog person, <laughs> Some but cats can be like dogs sometimes. I went to a cat cafe in Phuket once. Have you been there? Yeah, I've been to a couple in Japan, back home in Singapore as well. So mm, met some adorable ones there. Yeah, yeah. So. If you've got a cat in your life, maybe some special attention today. <laughs> Happy Cat Day, everybody. Let's start this morning down on Shenton Way, though. No cats there. Well, no more than usual, I think, at the Singapore Exchange with a look at direct deals and I want to take a look at institutional buying. It's always interesting to see which companies and which directors seem to think their company's shares offer good value at current levels. And when I take a look at this week's list, of direct-to-deals, I'm struck by the fact that three of the companies have links to property and construction. One is a developer, another works in civil engineering, a third has a unit that distributes a building material. The companies in question are Wingtai Holdings, Hock Lian Seng Holdings and Avarga. Tell us a little about their share buybacks, Ryan. Yeah, Wingtai is quite a familiar name if you are following what's playing out in the fashion industry back home. They've got a couple of brands under their wing. I think G2000s among them. So you've got that playing out and like pointed out, it's always a good sign when you've got insiders buying. So let's take a look at Win Tai, which is where the chairman and managing director Cheng Wai Kyung has continued to build up his deemed interests and this is through his spouse, Helen Chow. So from October 6th to October 12th, they bought more shares to the tune of over 570,000 shares. So he maintains a 61 plus percent stake in the company. So that's for Wing Tai. If you look at Hock Lian Singh, this is where you have the CEO, Chua Leong Hai, buying another 1.1 million plus shares at 25 cents per share. So this uh, will raise his stake from 37.9% to 38.12%. So this is another good sign for Hock Lian Singh where you've got the CEO putting his mouth where his money is or putting his mouth, money where his mouth is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that construction player seeing the CEO buy even more into the company. And you have Avaga where the executive chairman Tong Kui Yong has bought another 243,000 shares at a price of 16.9 cents per share. So this will bring his stake to 32.54% from 32.52%. So that's the overview of the share buybacks. All right. So a little bit more about these three companies. Many listeners may be familiar with Wing Tai Holdings. It is one of the region's leading developers. They have projects in half a dozen countries, including Lake Garden Residences in Jurong. They've come a long way, 60 years in Singapore. They were the first, uh, I believe, to manufacture jeans in Singapore. Imagine that. Hock Lian Seng Holdings, meanwhile, is a civil engineering company. They're building tunnels in Aviation Park and Serangoon. 
North, among their many other projects. And Avarga distributes building material like lumber, insulation and roofing in Canada. It's actually Canada's largest wholesale distributor of these supplies. All right, so we're seeing Wing Tai's chairman, Chong Wai Kyung, Hock Lian Seng CEO, Chua Leong Hai and Avarga's executive chairman, Tong Kui Ong, all buying shares of their companies. What can we make from this? Yeah, so it is a vote of confidence from management when they are personally buying stocks in their own companies. And if you look at where Wing Tai's stock price has been, it's not been too um, peachy. If you look at the performance in the past six months, for example, it's down 5.2%. And for the past year, down about 4%. So perhaps there's a sign of value as well. They recognize that the company is undervalued. And that's where, of course, insiders um, have a different perspective and can also figure out you know, how it might turn around or turn out for the coming near future, which is where they are optimistic on where share prices could go. So I think it's a good sign for investors to read into. But of course, it's one of the many signs they should be reading into. So, but generally, a positive um, takeaway. Generally good for investors. It's worth pointing out, though, that of the three stocks, Avarga is the worst performing of this year. It is down 16% since January. But of the three directors, it looks like uh, Avarga's Tong Kui Ong has had the best return on his share buybacks so far. Avarga's stock has risen nearly 9% above Tong's average purchase price. Not a bad return for a week's investment, if you think of it. One more note about Wing Tai Holdings before I'm move on. It has a dividend yield of 3.5%, but simply Wall Street is arguing that the company is paying out more than it's earning. Uh, Generally speaking, not good for the long term, right, Ryan? Yeah. I suppose everyone loves a good dividend, right? But at what cost? And at how sustainable a momentum is it, right? Because if you take a good dividend now, what's Mm. going to happen next quarter? Maybe it's going to be cut. And then in line with the cut, you will have a drop in share price. So the thinking here by some analysts is that Wing Tai cannot afford such a dividend in the longer term because based on the 3.5% dividend yield, uh, that is going to make up about 346% of earnings. And the company... Uh, was last generating negative free cash flows. So it's not promising on those metrics that it can continue with the same dividend yield. And if you look at some of the other financial indicators, earnings for Wing Tai have dropped about 22% over the past five years. So it's not turning around anytime soon based on the latest numbers. Profit margins are 1.4% lower than last year. And based on that as well, it's not looking very optimistic for a turnaround story yet. So it is a bit of, um, uh, I guess, a warning sign for investors trying to get in on those dividends. No clear signs of a turnaround just yet. Let's turn from construction and direct-to-deals to finance, where U.S. banks are again in focus. J.P. Morgan Chase, Citigroup and Wells Fargo all reported earnings on Friday and they all came in above expectations. J.P. Morgan Chase was the best performer. Its profits surged 35% during the third quarter of the year. What is powering J.P. Morgan Chase? Yeah, it is looking quite good. And if you look at the numbers, 
revenue came in at $40.7 billion, well above the consensus forecast of 39.63, and profit surged 35% to $13.15 billion. That's about four thirty-three a share. So a couple of things helping to drive um, revenue as well as earnings. So what you have is stronger than expected net interest income. So that comes with the higher rates we've been seeing in the past few months or even years that continues to add to the um, revenue for JP Morgan. We should keep in mind that just a couple of months ago, in fact, back in May, J.P. Morgan Chase rescued First Republic Bank. It took on billions of dollars in consumer loans when it did that. And it seems it's all paying off. J.P. Morgan Chase's expanded loan book contributed significantly to the bank's profit growth. Interest income also helped drive uh, Wells Fargo's profits in the third quarter. They grew 16% from a year earlier. Meanwhile, Citigroup, has received a 2.8 billion US dollar windfall from its currency and interest rate traders. They had a banner quarter. All right, speaking of Citibank, its mobile and internet banking services were down over the weekend here in Singapore. If you're a DBS user, you know that ATM machines were disrupted as well. Were you affected by any uh-huh. of this? Unfortunately, um, I was stuck at home watching Netflix, so I didn't get up much. Hey. How about you? Uh, no, but I did log in when I saw the reports to see ah, whether okay. I could get in. And I didn't have to, but I couldn't get in. But it was everywhere. You know, wherever you turn to, people were complaining that they could not get their payments done. They could not go shopping. Yeah. And some were even stuck, you know, after getting their um, hair done. You know, they oh, can't groceries, pay yeah. So what I happened? can imagine not something you expect from DBS, this exactly. um, level of outage? Yeah, for sure. Do we, do we know what happened? So the latest we are hearing is this appears to be a data center issue and data center belongs to Aconix, a US data center operator. So there were initial indications that it was described as a technical issue mm-hmm. and then we got more details on Sunday that this appears to be linked to a temperature issue. One of the data centers, because of a technical issue, raised the temperature in one data center, which impacted some customers' operations. So beyond those um, statements, we don't have further details. I imagine there's going to be a a more... um, deeper investigation into this and we'll get more down the road. Technical issue regarding temperature in a data center. Oh my goodness. So not just DBS, City yes. and also some other providers as well. So it's not very, um, I guess, a good sign for I, uh, Singapore as a financial hub if you have these basic services going down so easily. We'll wait for more details, of course, to knit this story together. It's not the first time DBS has suffered outages this year. Back in March, the MAS called a similar outage, quote, unacceptable. And then in May, after another disruption, MAS imposed additional capital requirements on DBS. Um, But this weekend, it did extend... Even beyond Citibank and DBS, if you look at it, Singtel, Starhub, M1, WhatsApp and Facebook also reported outages, as did a number of other services. All right, let's turn back to the U.S. markets. They were mixed last week. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 0.8%. The S&P 500 finished higher as well, but the tech-heavy Nasdaq lost a bit of ground. And the small-cap Russell 2000 fell 1.5%. So looking ahead, tell us what's on the Ryan Dar this week. <laughs> 
on the Ryanda. So we do have a couple of things to watch out for. This includes what's playing out in China. So this is where the second quarter GDP numbers will be out in the coming days. So that will give an indication to how much they are on track to hitting their 5% growth target. And of course, in recent days, we've been hearing you know, talk about stimulus measures coming forth. So perhaps if we get a bad surprise, so to speak, then we could see more urgency for them to step up on that front. And looking at what's also on the radar, you've got the Belt and Road Forum that is um, going to be happening in China. So we've got a couple of leaders, business leaders, as well as government leaders uh, meeting up in China to talk about various issues uh, such as trade as well as more uh, potential partnerships. So that's playing out in China. So if you look at earnings, a couple of interesting ones to watch out for. Uh, This includes the likes of TSMC. That's going to be happening on Thursday. And also some interesting color coming through from the likes of Netflix. Mm. That's going to be out on Wednesday. Plus, of course, Tesla. It's going to be interesting to watch. Uh, that's on Wednesday as well. And in the later part of the week, we've got American Airlines and American Express. So it's a interesting mix of companies in the US to give a bit of a wider snapshot of where the economy is going. All right, great overview for the week ahead for you there. We talked earlier about bank profits. Goldman Sachs and Bank of America reported earnings on Tuesday in the US. Uh, Morgan Stanley will open its books on Wednesday as do a number of smaller regional banks and uh, you mentioned, was it American Airlines as well? American Airlines and also American Express and also we talked about JP Morgan, Mm. so CEO Jamie Dunn uh, was also in the news to give his commentary and he described now as the most dangerous time in the past few decades for uh, for the world. So pretty much a hmm. bit of a bleak warning for, I guess, investors to watch what's going to happen in the coming days. Jamie Dimon sounding a note of caution for all of us, it sounds like. Uh, Time now for corporate news, and we do it up or down style. Disney, should we be in uh, the up or down camp? All right, Disney's year, this year, makes it 100 years old. So it is celebrating big time with all these centenary celebrations. But also, perhaps ring in new changes. And this is where we've got a couple of um, reports citing that with Bob Iger coming back to Disney, he's got his eye on making some big changes to, I guess, future-proof what Disney is going to be like for the next 100 years. You also have activist investors jostling for more seats on the board. And this includes selling off some of the crown jewels like ESPN and ABC so that Disney can go back to basics and focus on making money you know, and in the usual places where it's been doing better. So that's um, something I think is going to be a down for me. Disney uh, shaping up for the future. I have to agree with you. But if I listen closely, I hear a loud up coming from India. 35 million people tuned in over the weekend in India to watch uh, India play Pakistan in cricket. And that match was streamed on Disney Plus's Hotstar. So that's an up for Disney. Also an up for India, which won the match by seven wickets. All right, let's look at JD.com. All right, JD.com is going to be a down for me as it hits 
a record low for its stock price and banks are also not looking too supportive of that picture as they cut their revenue forecasts for JD.com. Mm. So a flexion of sorts of how competitive the e-commerce industry is in China as we see all sorts of issues, consumer confidence crisis and spending just down in general. So tough working or business environment for JD.com. Indeed, they dropped more than 11% after a number of Wall Street brokerages downgraded the stock amid concerns about China's economy. So definitely down for JD.com from me. Pfizer is next. All right, Pfizer is a down for me. So this comes as it cuts its revenue forecast for this year off the back of lower sales for its COVID-19 stuff. So as you can imagine, it's a bit of a base effect coming off the past few years and it has to find new sources of revenue. Indeed. Pfizer slashed its earnings outlook by 9 billion US dollars. What a cut. It's huge. Definitely a down for the pharmaceutical giant. As you say, Ryan, their COVID-19 drug sales are down. Pfizer shares have tumbled by more than a third since the beginning of the year. And they look set to open lower when trade resumes over in the US this evening. How's Dollar General looking? Yeah, they are taking a page out of the Disney playbook, bringing back their old CEO. Ah. So Todd Vassos is coming back to lead Dollar General. Investors are liking the news. He retired sometime in 2022 after seven years leading the firm. But it looks like the new guy isn't getting a lot of support. So he is on his way out. Indeed, Dollar General shares are down more than 50% since the start of the year, but they jumped 9% on Friday on that piece of news that their former CEO, Todd Vassos, is returning to the helm. Uh, Under his previous tenure, Dollar General opened thousands of new stores and saw its market cap more than double. So Vassos' return definitely appears to be hopeful And that's an up for the company in my books this morning. Let's bring it back to Singapore for our last entry of the day. I'm going with SGX. All right, SGX is a down for me. So this comes as we get reports like total securities turnover value fell 26.5% in September. And this is also worth noting in the Business Times front page, Singapore losing listings because the market has performed poorly. That is the opinion piece from Ben Paul. Um, Something to chew on and something to hopefully, I guess, uh, look forward to next year when perhaps things might be better, Mm -mm. Mm, hopefully. Yeah, SGX stock up more than 9% since January. So it is one of the better blue chips in terms of performance this year. But turnover on the Singapore exchange took a hit last month. It fell more by more than 25%. So I'm going to have to agree there and give SGX a down. Let's head over to Texas. Uh, I love state fairs. And so we are at the State Fair of Texas. It is currently happening, by the way. Can you just hear the live music, the livestock auction? Uh, all the best from Urban Farms. And, you know, state fairs are known for great food as well. Uh, there was a state fair that served up deep-fried butter. Okay, would it be 
accurate to describe it as a bit of a pasar malam for those who have not yeah, been there. That's perfect, actually. Just think large-scale pasar malam. Uh, except things are invented food-wise at these fairs. So Oprah Winfrey really enjoyed uh, deep-fried butter. There's also cotton candy tacos. Oh, and gosh. this year, uh, a one Vietnamese-American named Michelle Le is selling, get this, deep-fried pho. Oh, how crazy can you get with these innovations? <laughs> Just what do you think? Just up everything. Noodles and beef. I have to say I love my pho. In a tortilla. I also love anything that goes into a wrap or baguette, <laughs> so to speak. So it does kind of marry these things together. And I can imagine it working out quite well if you've got the right sweet chili sauce dip to go, mm. to go along. Maybe it could work. Um, yeah, it could. Yeah, I mean, with the side of the broth, because you have for uh, the soup is everything uh, that could work. But would you pay twenty nine dollars for deep fried? Food? Oh, that's a, another question altogether. <laughs> now, going back to the idea of a fur, it's supposed to be healthy, right? Because it's soup based. But if you, d- you deep fry fur, <laughs> uh, that's gonna change the game. <laughs> well, fur has been Texanized, shall we say. I'm sorry, it sells for $24. A little expensive, I think, for something the size of a salami sandwich. But I- I'd be keen to try it. Apparently, uh, Michelle Le's deep fried fur has caused controversy, not just because of what she's done to fur, but because it's similar to another dish served in a Texan restaurant, mm. which calls the meal a frito. <laughs> it does look like a burrito that's super fried up So you can imagine that image in your head <laughs> I'm all for it Hope we've made you hungry Thanks for joining us This is Market View I'm Michelle Martin He's Ryan Huang Thanks Ryan Thanks Michelle Before acting on the information on Money FM, Please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives Financial situation and risk tolerance